Welcome to the Love Before 100 podcast. I'm Rachel Birch, and I'm here because everyone says dating in your 40s sucks. So I decided to make a game out of it. Part scavenger hunt, part bucket list. I made a list of all the ways I could meet my person. Then I assigned every task a points value. The goal now, find love before I hit 100. Points or years, whichever comes first. You got me shaking, yeah. What you're about to hear is a Cinderella story. My Cinderella story. If Cinderella was a divorced mom of two in her 40s. This podcast is about my adventures in dating post-divorce. But here's the thing. I live in Orange County, which is known to be very superficial. Perhaps you've seen the reality shows. I was born and raised in Newport Beach, so I've seen it change. And it's definitely the Newport Beach you see on TV, especially when you're out and about. And I'm just me. Growing up in a place like this can definitely mess with your head. I was always chubby and wanting to lose weight, and I hated, hated my face. I loathed my entire physical appearance. I'll get to more on that shortly, but basically, I had a story that I would never be able to find someone here. It's the land of the beautiful people, and I was not. Who would choose me when they could get someone who looked like Barbie or a Kardashian. I always thought I'd be a really great catch in some place like Alaska or Kansas. I knew this way of thinking wasn't going to get me what I desired. So as someone who coaches women to get unstuck, get out of funks and manifest their wildest dreams, I decided to coach myself on this. So first thing I had to do was lose these ridiculous stories. The first story, I'm ugly and unattractive to men. Who would want me? Wow. (laughs) Talk about starting with a hard ingrained story. Jeez. So let me tell you what I was up against. One year ago, my now 13 year old took a selfie of us all in the car. It was our first day of school photo because yeah, of course we left the house. And then I realized that we hadn't taken a photo. And how is it that your kids can always take the worst picture of you? They find the worst angle, the worst lighting, and the worst chin hair you didn't even know you had. Looking at the photo he had taken, I kept thinking, how did I let myself go so badly? I mean, I knew divorce, COVID, all the emotional eating. I was 60 pounds overweight and my hair and skin just didn't have that same glow. I was definitely at rock bottom physically. The day before, I had actually signed up for another new food plan. I remember sitting in my kitchen thinking, maybe I'll lose a bunch of weight and meet a guy at Starbucks. My benchmark was to get hit on at a Starbucks. Don't ask me why. But men didn't look at me like that. Men didn't even look at me. At that point in my life, I actually felt completely invisible to men. Because in addition to being overweight, my hair was a frizzy, out of control mane and I think it was actually starting to fall out from stress or COVID or hormone changes. And my perfectly straight teeth were starting to shift and crowd from a lifetime of not wearing my retainers. I was actually considering getting braces. Talk about rounding out my sex appeal, right? That week, my therapist had told me that it would take a certain type of man. She meant a man who had done the work and healed, but at that moment, looking in the mirror, I thought about that. 
It would absolutely take a certain type of man to see what's good here, to see what's left. I teared up. I kept thinking, where is he? I only need one. I don't need all the men in the world to want me. Just one. I'll take one. I recalled writing that exact same sentence in my diary when I was just 12 years old. I just need one. And it was just as painful that day as it was in 1988. Feeling emotional, I walk down to the kitchen and to the cupboard and take down my mug that says, morning, darling. It's a mug that I bought to give me the sensation that my love is speaking to me as he hands me my morning coffee. I use it every Sunday. That day was Tuesday, but I needed his warmth. I had just had a friend visit over the weekend and she grabbed my mug and used it for her coffee. I felt betrayed. So I'm making sure that we're okay. And by we, I mean my mug and me. Uh, Coffee with Screamer and Stevia. A friend that fills my cup, literally. Food and now coffee have always been there to comfort me. And hence the extra 60 pounds of love and comfort I'm carrying around. Like a giant hug or an anaconda suffocating me. I'm ready to remove the anaconda. Day one of my new food plan, no, really, this time it will work, starts Monday and all my hopes and dreams are pegged to this food plan. It will work. It has to work this time. At that point, I had transformed literally every other area of my life, but my physical body was last. Well, physical body and love, of course, but I had given up on love, so really it was just my body I needed to transform. But wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me go back to the beginning. Before the glow up, before the growth, before the bucket list, let's start there. Let's go way back, back to the source of all of our problems, being a teenager and the preteen years. Okay, so in elementary school, I was an awkward, chubby kid with a Farrah Fawcett haircut. Yes, She was a sex symbol, but it wasn't the hair. It was the body, the red bathing suit, the fact that she was one of Charlie's angels. That hair, her hair on a chubby 12-year-old girl was pouring gasoline on the awkwardness fire. I just wanted to hide. I didn't want anyone to see me. Plus, I've struggled with my weight my entire life. I went on my first diet around that time at age 12, and I've been dieting ever since. But then right about that time, picture it, late 1980s, summer camp, Ojai, California, there was this boy, Ryan. Don't get too excited. Ryan was a chubby kid no one noticed, much like myself. But then one year, Ryan got mono. And when he came back to camp, he was thin and hot. From that moment, two things happened. One, I became determined to get mono. And two, my love affair with radical transformation began. Because even from that young age, I wanted to change everything about myself. Enter high school. Okay, so in addition to being overweight and struggling with my body, my entire life and my hair, I also struggled with my face. I hated it. I felt ugly. And Curtis Wilburn, that's not his real name, but it's close enough, didn't help. I remember being a freshman and having sixth period with him. He called me Willow and all the other kids laughed. I had no idea what Willow was, but when I asked someone and she showed me the movie poster, I was horrified. A small, ugly male troll? He thought I looked like a small, ugly male troll? I was heartbroken. 
I never wanted to have a sixth period again. Losers had sixth period. I joined the soccer team just to escape the kind of class that would have a Curtis Wilburn in it. Recently, I Googled him, hoping he'd be dead or in jail. No such luck. He had become a fucking model, married to another model, and they had started a clothing line together. Now, he looks like a freak. Super long blonde hair, skinny, creepy looking face, like one of the Nelson brothers on meth. But still, I'm sure he was quite pleased with himself and his life. Okay, fine. I'm glad he's not dead, but I hope he's become the type of person who wouldn't treat other people so harshly. Why do we put so much credibility on how other people see us? So basically, I went into my adult life with a story that I was fat and looked like a small, ugly male troll. Talk about winning. I'll spare you much of the details of my life between freshman year of high school and now, but in a few sentences, I found my person, or so I thought, married him, had two wonderful kids with him, and then divorced him. I was a lawyer for 10 years and then retired and started my life coaching business. I had found personal development at some point along the way and became obsessed. Ryan's radical physical transformation couldn't hold a candle to internal transformation. I had become a coach before my divorce, but after my divorce, I dove even deeper into personal growth and transformation. I went through a depression naturally after my divorce. And then at some point, as I emerged from that, I decided it was time to get my groove back. I tried everything to figure out how does one do that? Get their groove back. I watched how Stella got her groove back. I took lap dancing and pole dancing classes. I read tons of books and still nothing. My groove was missing. I decided to make getting my groove back my mission. Giving myself a project while continuing to work through my issues felt exciting and gave me something that I hadn't had in a long time, hope. So I asked my therapist about getting my groove back. She told me, you need to go somewhere, find a hot guy, not exchange names, and just have a weekend of hot sex. This idea intrigued me, but felt as probable as landing on Mars and falling in love with an alien or Elon Musk. First of all, I didn't think I was capable of unattached sex. I was pretty sure I would immediately fall in love and it wouldn't be pretty. I'd be spending my days searching the internet for his social media, his LinkedIn, his criminal background history. Second of all, again, if I couldn't get hit on in Starbucks and get a hot coffee, how was I supposed to get a weekend of hot sex? Where was I going to find such a man and such an opportunity? It felt impossible. I decided to start a list. Not just of where to find such an opportunity, but of opportunities in general. I knew I wanted to feel sexy, attractive, alive, bold, fun, adventurous, spontaneous, cheeky. So I wrote a bunch of things down. Part bucket list, part scavenger hunt. I wrote things down like a boudoir photo shoot, just for me. Create a dating app profile. Get hit on at a Starbucks, of course. Crash a wedding, crash a sales convention, go to some meetups, take up a new sport, take a solo vacation, date a fireman. Yeah, that's on everyone's list. I went through a phase where anyone who said they were a fireman wore a fireman's uniform or even had a fire truck in their profile got a right swipe. And so that's how the epic dating bucket list was born. 
It's been edited and updated quite a bit since then, but ultimately I created a list of over 50 things designed to keep my mind off the fact that divorce sucks. Dating sucks. The whole thing sucks. In coaching, for me, rule number one when trying to hit a goal is to make it fun. How can I make this fun? So I decided to make a game out of it. So each item on the list was assigned a points value. The more daring, the more points it was worth. And that's why my goal now is to find love before I hit 100 points or years, whichever comes first. Rule number two for me in coaching is focus on the growth. How can I grow from this? As I mentioned, I'm obsessed with radical transformation of all types. I mean, hello, it's what I do for a living now. I love it for myself and I love helping others do it too. But enough about others, back to me. So I continue to sign up for coaching programs and process my grief and learn and heal. And one of the coaching programs I did, I can't remember which one, said, we all wear a sign that tells the world who we are and how to treat us. I really thought about that. And I realized with horror that my sign said, don't look at me, nothing to see here. Years of trying to hide my face and my body, that was the sign that I had created. No wonder I felt invisible. I immediately decided it was time to take the sign off. And I did that by noticing all the ways I made myself invisible. Not wearing any makeup, not putting much effort into my hair, the clothing that I picked. Every time I left the house, I threw on a pair of baggy Lululemon track pants. So I immediately gave those away and bought some cute cutoff jean shorts. I mostly wore them around the house, but I started to feel better about myself. I still felt invisible, but I was starting to see myself and I was starting to see myself differently. So if it resonates, ask yourself, what does my science say to the world about who I am and how to treat myself? Do I like this sign? Would I change it? And if so, how can I change my sign? So at this point, I've taken off my sign and I have my list. What could go wrong, right? For me, coaching rule number three is know what you want and decide you're going to get it. Make a decision. This is what I'm doing. In December of 2021, I attended Tony Robbins' Date with Destiny. He had you write out your top four one-year goals. Mine were lose 35 more pounds, relaunch my podcast, check, perform comedy again, and start to travel, fly anywhere. You see, I have a terrible fear of flying. I hate flying. And I had gotten over my fear enough to fly a bunch before 2020, but in the last two years, I had only taken one short trip and my fear was back and it was paralyzing. So now it was January, 2022. And at this point, my weight loss plan was working and the weight started to come off. By that point, I was down 25 pounds. And so I decided to get the braces. I figured I was invisible, so it didn't matter anyway. However, it wasn't even a month later that I went to my coach and said I was ready to start looking at the possibility of having a relationship. As I mentioned before, I had pretty much given up on love as a possibility for me. I'm not being dramatic. I just felt like my life was pretty amazing and maybe that's all I got. Maybe having everything I already had was enough and love just wasn't on the agenda for this lifetime. I once had a reading with an astrologer and she was trying to tell me about this amazing community of women that I would have. And she said something about nuns. 
And I was like, oh, please, God, no. (laughs) I'm a Jewish nun? No. Anyway, now that I had lost some weight, I was open to looking at this area. I remember saying to my coach, I don't think love will happen for me, but sex would be nice. Maybe I can manifest a fling, but who would want me with braces? And then I said, maybe this is pie in the sky, but I want a romantic story. I just want to meet someone and have it click. We decided I needed to make a big gesture to the universe. And that big gesture would be overcoming my fear of flying and taking a trip within the following two weeks. So I flew to Vegas for 36 hours. And when I got back, my best friend from college called and invited me to go to DC with her for the weekend. That weekend. Because I had pulled the bandaid off my fear of flying, I said yes. Buying a ticket was tough though. So much so that I thought for sure, maybe I wasn't supposed to go on this trip. After a series of mishaps, I ended up getting exactly the flights I was supposed to be on. This weekend would prove to be life-changing for me. I had no idea what the universe had in store and that serendipity would have placed me on the right flight at the right time. At the airport in Orange County, on the first leg of my journey to Houston, a good-looking young guy came and sat down next to me and started talking to me. That literally never happens. I was shocked. I could feel that something had shifted. And then when I got to the hotel in DC, another good-looking man walked into the elevator and started flirting with me. He was like, I'm not following you, I promise. I'm going to my room alone. I told him I was sorry to hear that, and we both laughed. I got out of the elevator stunned. I know this doesn't sound like much, but it was evidence to me that the work I was doing was working. Then at the mall, the manager of this high-end store that I was shopping in texted me to thank me and said, it was such a pleasure to assist you and your good friend. Please reach out to me for any reason. You are a gem and it was very fun getting to know you. Safe travels and you better stay in touch just because. I couldn't believe it. It was like some big invisibility cloak had been lifted. I mean, yes, I had mentally taken off the sign, but was that real? Did this stuff actually work? I knew it did, but I was still in shock leaving DC, but also kind of disappointed, disappointed with this new superpower that I hadn't met anyone who actually stuck. And then I met him. It started in first class. I got on the tiny plane flying from Dulles to Minneapolis and sat down next to him. I had seen in the weather app that thunderstorms were happening in Minnesota. Great, a tiny plane and flying into thunderstorms. Perfect. I felt uneasy, so when I sat down, I turned to him and said, if we hit bad turbulence, will you just engage me in conversation? I hate small planes and I hate turbulence. Through his mask, I could hear him clear as day. I got you. Whoa, who's this, I thought. I turned away and started jotting notes on a piece of paper, smiling. Strange, I no longer felt afraid. Amusement and excitement crept in where fear had just been. All of a sudden, I felt inspired to write some new comedy. About 15 minutes into the flight, he turned to me and asked how I was doing. We immediately clicked. We chatted for the rest of the flight. We were both perched on the armrest, leaning into each other's space. He told me about his trip to D.C., his visit to the Holocaust Museum, his two daughters who were also on the flight a few rows back, 
And we talked about dating. He had been married twice. Third time's the charm, he said playfully. He stopped, considered his next statement, and said quietly, women fall in love too fast. I could tell he wasn't saying it from a cocky place, even though he was very confident in who he was. He had big blue eyes, thick blonde hair, which he was very proud of, and a gorgeous smile that I wouldn't even see until he took his mask off to drink his airplane cocktails. From my work on relationships, I understood what he was saying. Women did tend to fall quicker than men, but since I had read the books, I said very confidently, not me, I'm very savvy. I bet you are, he replied. By the end of the flight, his hand was on my leg, rubbing it gently through the turbulence. Oh God, that feels good, I remember thinking, but accidentally said out loud, to which he replied, oh good, I was worried I had gotten carried away. Yeah, that makes two of us, buddy. At the end of the flight, we connected on Instagram. By the end of the night, he had messaged me. You were definitely the highlight of my trip, and I can't thank you enough. Watched some of your comedy, loved it, but even more impressed merely with the fact that you did it. I'd love to keep the dialogue going and see if I can align a trip to Orange County. Holy crap. Was this my pie in the sky? Was this my romantic story? Because this definitely was meeting someone and having it click. That week, we chatted through Instagram and planned our first date in San Jose, five weeks away. I really liked this guy. I was doing my best not to get too excited, but honestly, I looked forward to getting his messages every day. He was funny and smart and pretty much checked every box on my dream man list. He lived in Minnesota, which is a very long way from California. This was not good. What was I thinking? I wasn't thinking. I was fantasizing and romanticizing, but I wasn't thinking. Meanwhile, since I'd been home, the magical whatever was happening continued. I finally got hit on in Starbucks. Twice. Check that off the list. Got a flat tire and was asked out by the tow truck driver. Had my handyman bring me flowers and chocolates and profess his love for me. What in the hell was happening? I had also gotten back on Bumble looking for stand-up comedy material and had a lot of interesting matches to chat with. Things had seemingly turned around and looked like they were finally going my way. It felt amazing. I hope you loved that episode of Love Before 100. To play along and get all the behind the scenes and bonus content, follow us on TikTok at Love Before 100. And be sure to come back next week to help me cross another thing off my bucket list. That's been the-